New week on the call up and we are talking about baseball's best farm system. So no better way to kick the week off here. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. We're talking Baltimore Orioles here where that's our latest rankings. It was it's one of those that was like easier but harder because it's so many prospects that we had already written up plenty on going through the season. Seven top 100 prospects in the end of season update, right? The final update in 2023. There'll be more than seven potentially uh, going into 2024 as we get that top 100 update and you know preseason rankings out there. But it was hard to, to I think, separate some of these players because there's some fun debates within it. Uh, and then you start looking outside of those seven, eight guys that we've been talking about for a little bit. And you can see some names that are starting to climb and could be that next wave and sorting through those players as well. So it's more than the names that we've just talked about. I'm excited to to dive back into some of these Orioles names that we've been discussing for a little bit and talk about, you know, where they're at comparatively. Uh, but at the same time, there's some exciting up and comers in this system that I'm very excited to break into. So are you're a soccer guy a little bit, right? You'll, you'll lock in for the world cup. Yeah. For all, for all you footy heads out there, I I'm going to make a claim about how organizations kind of fluctuate when it comes to, best farm system in baseball type rankings. The Orioles are, are turning more into a Brazil or a France than a Belgium. And what I mean by that is Belgium had that golden age of yeah, Belgium where it was like De Bruyne and company and Courtois. Like they had so many guys in that one crop that were all the same age. And after that, there was that dip again. What separates Belgium from France and Brazil? France and Brazil have the 16-year-old along with the 30-year-old. And that's kind of who the Orioles are turning into. While it was so far and away the golden age of Orioles prospects heck, coming into last year, even when you still had Jordan Westberg with prospect eligibility, Gunnar Henderson with prospect eligibility, Grayson Rodriguez with prospect eligibility. Now it's clear that there are some guys that are outside the top 10 that are trending up to be top 10 prospects in that system and borderline top 100 prospects in baseball. They are joining the Dodgers and the Rays as places that continuously pump out talent, develop, identify, as opposed to, Hey, we really lucked out in the 2018 draft. We can't wait for those guys to graduate and come join us. It's actually a great analogy because when you look at what they've already done, right, we've had, we've had several waves of top number one prospects, top overall prospects, right? So, and they've already reloaded with that, right? Where you've seen, the, the, the Adelie Rutschman number one ranking. Then you've seen the, the Gunnar Henderson number one ranking. Now you see the Jackson Holiday number one ranking. And guess what? When Jackson graduates, you might see a Samuel Basayo number one ranking coming after that. So that part of it is amazing. And then, I mean, even with just the way that they're able to draft, now that they're continuously going to be drafting at the back end of the first round, presumably, you know, with the way that the big league team's looking, I'm very interested to see how they continue to, to replenish but when we talk about it, we're going to get into it. Like in the later half or the latter half of the first round this past year, they went with one of the you know, highest floor guys in Enrique Bradfield Jr., who is going to be a solid prospect one way or another. It's going to be a question of, you know, how much impact, how does him will get into him. But like, that's another guy though, that will never be a non-prospect, right? Like, I'd be floored if he's ever a non-prospect because of the defensive ability that he brings because of the speed and the bat to ball skills. So, I, I'm, I can't wait to see how they draft again this coming year. Now, later in the first, do they continue to go with those safer, higher floor guys? Do they just really trust that they can identify and scout? 
Um, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how they can continue to, to reload now drafting in a slightly different position. And before we get into it, one last thing on the number one overall prospect in baseball thing. They have three number one overall prospects in baseball that are still Baltimore Orioles, right? Adley, Gunner, and Jackson Holiday. I'm curious if you guys are active in the YouTube comments, if you want to go research this. I'm sure that there have been a couple teams in recent memory that have had three once number one overall prospects at the same time. Like, I, I don't know. I'm struggling to even pluck one out of my brain. But like you've got three guys that on some sort of publication were the number one overall prospect on the same team. I bet you a decent bit of money that the Orioles are the only team to have three number one overall prospects that are all pre-arb. They've oh, yeah. been no, they're, that, they're, I mean, they've been that concentrated. No way, no way that's ever happened before. Not. Because to, to break that chain, usually like you're not going to always be drafting at the, at the top, top, top pick. Right. So to, to break that chain, you either have to suck. And, and I think you have to be able to either continuously draft at the top of the draft, which means, which means you're not getting any better. You know, I, I think at the big league level and hit on that number one pick, it's not always easy to hit on that top five pick, or right. you got to do what the Orioles did and absolutely crush later on, like getting a Gunnar Henderson who, you know, wasn't was outside the top, top 40. Pick. Yeah. It was 42nd overall or something. Exactly. So like it, it's a little bit of both there and, and they've nailed it. So that side of it is really fascinating. And I, I would bet a lot of money that there's no way any other team has been anywhere near that. Um, Another wrinkle there too, which, which I'm really excited to get into. Obviously they were picking at the top of the draft for a really long time. Their ability to underslot. Amazing. Cursed at it yeah. too. Cows are at five. And that's a big reason why I think they're they're cooking with gas too, right? It's like it's not just it's it's it's, and yeah, I know you're alluding to it, but you know, for, for the listener too, like it's not just oh they underslotted and then use the money well elsewhere. That's one side of it, but underslotting and targeting a guy that probably shouldn't have been underslotted is the whole uh, I think the whole battle with it and what makes it so amazing. So you're getting a, a player in Cowser or Kerstad that you thought should have been the number two or number five pick anyways, or at least had a really strong case at it, and you save money to do so, it's like trading back, getting the guy you wanted anyways, and then moving up to get somebody better later in the first round. That's why the Orioles have been awesome. The guys that they look to underslot, they just they, they seem to nail it. And, and we'll get into Kowser and Kerstad. And it's funny because like those guys immediately have the stigma attached to them mm-hmm. until they turn out to be good. If they're not good, the rest of the baseball world is pointing at a Colton Cowser and a Heston Kerstad saying like, yeah, you shouldn't have gone cheap at two overall, right? You shouldn't have gone cheap at one overall, but like here they are and they're really good and they're top 50 prospects in baseball. So you have to acknowledge that the Orioles were geniuses for yeah. doing this. I-, I like that. They just, they, totally shed the stigma as soon as they're good in the upper levels. Yeah. And, and the blue Jays, look, they didn't go cheap with Austin Martin. Like if you believe in your scouting, if you know what you're doing, look, I'm not a believer in underslotting if you've got the slam dunk right there. But again, when, when, when all you, you start comparing all those players, there's not really, there, there's rarely such thing as a slam dunk and, and clearly they nailed it on, on those guys. So let's talk about some of these names to watch. And as always, you can follow along uh, on YouTube or in the link in the episode description alphabetically. Uh, and Jack, you can lead us through a little bit different this time. I'll just jump in on certain players that I want to add something on before you move on to the next guy. If not, um, I'll just say, yep, sounds good. 
Perfect. Um, we'll work a bottom to top. So we'll start with Max Wagner. Um, Max Wagner, second round pick in 2022. He had 27 homers in his draft year at Clemson. He had an OPS at 1348 in 58 games, 27 homers in 58 games. It was absolutely insane. Um, this past year, 105 games in high A and double A, 13 homers. The stolen bases were a thing. We were not expecting those to be a thing, but the power was not a thing when we were expecting that to be a thing. So I, I guess we're just waiting for that 20 to 25 homer potential to, to really rear its head. He'll probably spend the entire year in double A. If, if they're being conservative with them. Uh, Alex Pham is a guy that I really like. 73 overall appearances at the University of San Francisco. Noted uh, alma mater of Bill Russell, the Dons. <laughs> but um, he was a reliever for the Dons. And, and, you know, two seasons of professional baseball, he was a reliever. And then he made the switch to pretty much a starter in full-time. And this guy in his first true year as a starter threw 112 innings and had a 2.6 ERA. And he punched out the world and he kept the walks in check. 130 punch outs, 42 walks. He's a short guy. He's under six foot, but like he throws the kitchen sink at you at all time. And, and I called him a Javier Assad-esque option. Yeah. So I, I think the one thing that kind of separates him a little bit too from those typical kitchen sink guys is that he gets 20 inches of vert on that fastball. So yeah, it's it's 90 to 92. You know, he'll, he'll sneak a, a three and four in there every once in a while. But to get that 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 fastball with 20 inches of vert when, you know, the stuff isn't too lively, that, that definitely helps. I don't think it's going to be a big whiff fastball like a, a lot of other 20 IVB fastball, but it's going to play better than just about any other fastball in that velo bucket. That helps a lot. And I think it also helps the whole arsenal work off of that, right? Because if you're always worried about ride, then you got to worry about cut. You got to worry about dive. You got to worry about a split. Uh, everything then plays up off of that. And and honestly, man, like fam, fam is a name I'm 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 excited to monitor here and, and excited to follow. And I think you're starting to see the tides turn in this Orioles organization. I was just talking about this on Locked On Orioles with with Connor Newcomb, who does an awesome job. If you're an Orioles fan, you should absolutely be checking that out. Um, you probably have already. But we were. He was asking me kind of where do you think they're at with the pitching development and. You know, I think from the development side, you're seeing it now. What I'm waiting to find out is how's the scouting, you know, because I still like sometimes when they draft certain guys, certain guys that they were in on didn't sign, you know, McLean, I didn't even like that pick that much. So like it worked out for them, but I, I'm starting to see them identify certain players with characteristics that, that seem to play. And I think fam's an example of that. And there's another example that we'll get to. And when we get a little bit uh, earlier in the alphabet, yeah. Um, Juan Nunez, the next guy, reliever, mid-90s, really strong slider. He's 5'11", like he is a power guy, low to the ground. Uh, $25,000 IFA guy. He was part of the return oh. for Jorge Lopez with Yenier Cano. So if you get Cano and another guy with big league capability, I, I mean, dude, you're you're living the dream with that deal, considering Lopez did not work out in Minnesota. Another they guy. Got, yeah. They also got Kate Povich. Yeah, there you go. We'll talk about Povich a they little bit later. They crushed on. him on that deal. They killed him. It's like Mali level kill. Um, <laughs> Luis De Leon, another guy that that is probably a reliever, thirty thousand dollar IFA guy, six three, skinny is all get out, but he's mid nineties. Opponents hit two hundred four against him in fifty three and two thirds innings. Like he 
He is kind of same thing with Nunez. It's mid 90s fastball can run it up to the high 90s and, and a solid slider to boot. Next guy is is Billy Cook, outfielder in double A. I like Billy Cook. Age is not on his side. He just turned 25 years old in early January, but this guy was power. This guy was speed, 24 homers and 30 bags in double A. Um, he made what eight starts in all three outfield spots, second base and first base, at least eight starts. So this guy offers so much versatility. Got him on the right side of the infield and anywhere in the outfield. Um He's a Swiss army knife, like at the big league level. He's not an everyday guy, but he seems like that bench utility bat that you would love to have that INF slash OF designation next to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, actually, as a guy I saw in the fall league and he was exactly what you said, you know, it was, it, it's a name I'm familiar with, but at the same time, I, yeah, I couldn't tell you much on him at the time that I was watching the, him at the AFL. And there's just certain players like that, that, you know, you're not really, you don't have circled right uh, on the scorecard or you don't have circled in the lineup and, you see him hit one, you know, and, and then you see him motor in a second. You're like, that's an athlete right there. Like yeah. that's a guy that can, that can play a little ball. I want to see what it all looks like. He, he ended up having a nice little stretch uh, on the Cape or on the Cape geez, uh, in the Arizona fall league. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at least fascinated. Yes. He is a little bit older, but um, you know, sometimes it's, it's a little bit different with, with prospects in their situation. I will say, I really hope that Billy cook uh, does well, because if you Google Billy cook, there's another name that comes up who was a like serial killer in like the twenties and thirties. Uh, yeah. We just so, don't need you know, that. If Cook, I, I honestly think at this point, you know, twenties and thirties, it's kind of getting to the point where it's like almost a hundred years ago. I, I feel like if Billy Cook can just make it to the show, like just get to the big leagues, he might overtake the other Billy Cook. I, I don't know what the sliding scale is of like how long after how good you have to be in the big leagues. But hopefully when you Google Billy Cook, it'll be, Orioles outfielder slash infielder slash utility guy um, and, and not uh, the, the other one. So, you know what, you know what, like history does for a lot of serial killers and a lot of um, people that have like assassinated notable figures. Make Netflix documentaries. Make Netflix documentaries. People love true crime. So that Billy Cook from the 20s and 30s may not go away, but they ID by the middle name. So people like Billy Cook in the Orioles system don't get pissed when they're attached to a serial killer like John Wilkes Booth, Lee Harvey Oswald, like yeah. a, Lee, a Lee Oswald would be pissed. But like how many Lee Harvey Oswalds are there out there? I don't think very many. Yeah, if you um, did it on purpose at that point. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Billy Cook, we just talked about the Pirates in the last episode. He's got so much Matt Gorski. Like those guys are identical yeah, yeah, yeah. situations. It's power, Which speed versatility but like you're already 25 and you're probably not a better option than the guys that they have up there sure it could be you know a throw in in another deal or you know just again just good org depth for sure um trace bright another arm in double a that i know a lot of people are very high on and i'll kind of let you run with him uh, fascinating thing to me this guy had an era damn near six at auburn in his college career <laughs> he was not good in the sec what does he do he ups his K's per nine from nine and a half to 13 punch outs in his minor league career so far. 156 K's and 109 out of 30 innings. He's got what power curve, which I know that we love. His fastball is what kind of data darling fastball. What's the yeah. word on, on bright? Yeah, it's it's a really it's kind of similar to Alex Pham where it's a higher release. And, you know, we've been talking about release points a lot lately. But it's all relative, right? So if you're a higher release, but you're getting 20 inches of vert, it's going to play 
just as well as a, a lower release with a little bit less vert. He gets 20 inches of vert. So again, it, it just really rides off of that. And then the power curveball, it, it's just a tunneling nightmare for hitters that I love. Like, I don't know how, how the rest of the arsenal is going to come together, but when you've got fastball with 20 inches of vert riding up, and then you've got this power hammer curveball off of that, he got some ugly swings when I was diving into the video, man. And, and, I think he could he could be a really, really overpowering arm just off of those two pitches alone. So totally different build, but that's the glass now thing, right? It's yeah. it's fastball that takes off like a rocket ship, and then it's a hammer of a breaking ball. And that's why the breaking ball gets so many awful swings. Cause yeah. like it looks the same for like 40 feet there. Op- opponents hit a buck 14 against this curveball. That's disgusting. I mean, and again, I think the fastball is a big part of that. 15% swinging strike rate on the fastball is fantastic. 20% swinging strike rate on the curveball. I think he's probably destined for like a swingman, you know, sure. or, or, or bullpen role. It, but at the end of the day, like maybe that slider or changeup comes along and, and they've got something there. So he's got some time. He just turned 23. I'm sure they'll give him another year. See how it all comes together. He's clearly a late bloomer, as you alluded to with the numbers in college. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how he continues to, to track, but I will say the velocity also, not only held it, it, at points at the end of the year, I think you, he kind of ticked back up and was throwing as hard as ever over his last few starts. Can I ask, what is the strike rate on the curveball? Do you have it in front of you? Yeah, it's 57%, which That's good. is not, it's not terrible considering how much it breaks, but yeah. you know, it, it's honestly not bad because he's going to get chased. He gets a ton of end zone whiff and he's been, he filled up the zone with the fastball, 67% fastball strike rate. So, I mean, that'll play. A hundred percent. A couple other guys, B-A-U-M. It, w- it was hard. I had to go to uh, the fifth letter in their last name to separate alphabetically. Oh, wow. That is crazy. That, that'll, I think that'll be the only time we have that happen. I think so. Cutter, Baumler, and Jackson Bowmeister. Also, look how many guys they have that are early in the alphabet. It's like Billy Cook, and then all of a sudden there's a huge drop-off. I think five or yeah. six guys are like C or previous. Uh, but Baumler and Bowmeister. Start with uh, Cutter Baumler, right-hander in low A. He was the fifth-round pick, same round as Spencer Strider in 2020. So the last pick for the O's in that COVID-shortened draft. Um, immediately tore his UCL at Instructs. So he was out for 2021 and front half of 22. This past year, complex and low A, he was striking out the world. 41 and 28 and two thirds. He's only 21 years old. He was a high school arm that was taken. I, he has, I, I was watching some video from, I think it was the All-American game that, that he was throwing in. This dude's mechanics are amazing. Like they are so clean, so rhythmic. Um, and like, I, I don't want anybody to think that if you have clean mechanics, you are not going to blow out. That's just not how this works. Like you just, if you throw over 90, you have a chance of blowing out. If you throw over 80, you have a chance of blowing out, but it's, it's it's how you can come back from that. And then your chance of, of, you know, having that kind of spill into shoulder issues and other things and things like that, right? Like everyone's UCL is at risk, you know, but I think that that easy delivery makes you feel better about how he's going to come back how he's going to be able to maybe get more out of the velocity and, and, and continue to build from there. Yeah. So I usually don't make like sweeping claims like this, but for a guy with under 30 pro innings under his belt, I have nothing to worry about in terms of consistency in his delivery. It's, it's no. strictly is the pitch mix going to get better. And another fastball with ride too. Um, and they seem to be just really going after these fastballs with ride because I think they feel confident about their ability to develop the secondary stuff. We've seen them do it well with the bullpen guys and, 
And, you know, we've seen them do it with Bradish. We've seen, like, I, I think now they're, they're really looking for these fast ride fastball guys. Cause that's really hard to teach. And then I think they feel like they can piece it together from there. And, and it's no coincidence. Baumler had success because he had to lean on that fastball a little bit as he got his feet under him and he was able to do that. Yeah. A uh, couple more guys. Jackson Bomeister was, I think the last guy to sign in this past draft class. I think a lot of people thought that Bomeister was going to go back to Florida state after being the 63rd pick, but Baltimore did overslot him. Big guy, six four two twenty five, former catcher. He's super athletic. Um, numbers weren't great at Florida state, but he's a guy that, I, maybe Baltimore's hoping can tick up a little bit and that low 90s fastball can turn into a mid 90s fastball and he can, you know, find a feel for a third pitch and he could be a back of the rotation option. Um, yeah. He, he threw a little bit harder as the year went on, um, which is encouraging. And then again, it's, it, it's I'm going to be like a, a broken record here, but it's a little bit of that, you know, lively fastball, good curveball off of that. And, and it, the problem for him was secondary command, filled the zone up with the fastball secondaries just were not there for him. My strike rate right around like 50% on non fastballs. So, I mean, I think the way they're looking at it is he's got some of the things you can't teach the, the potential with the stuff's right there. If we can just get him to, to harness that secondary stuff a little bit, he could explode. Uh, so yeah. I, I think it was a good flyer to take. And um, it obviously was down to the, to the last minute there for a reason. They, they were probably working within, you know, a, a tight budget to try to get him to sign. And it, it was impressive that they pulled it off because Again, they need all the arms that they can get. Yeah, two more. Um, Justin Armbruster was in AAA this year. This guy is probably like ceiling of a five, but floor of a swingman. He's 6'4", 235, big guy. He's got two iterations of that slider-cutter mix where it's like, hey, you know, he's he's ripping off the looser slider and then he's got the tighter cutter. With those being your second and third pitch, like I, you don't love it, right? You want something else moving kind of a different way, whether it be a curveball or a changeup, something yep. like that. But um, he got outs. The problem was the big ball. He got hammered by the long ball. Yeah. Um, it's another 6-4 righty with the fastball that he likes to throw a lot and, and plays best at the top of the zone. So live and die by that, right? But, you know, I think that the, the way that, the Orioles look at it is once they get to the big leagues, pitchers are going to live by that a lot more because of how hard it is to go deep you know, into, into left field there. So I think that might be part of the reason why organizationally they're attacking these high carry fastball guys because, okay, hit fly balls in our ballpark. See how it goes for you. I mean, Armbruster had a 22% ground ball rate on his fastball. So yeah. yes, he did get burned on some homers and, and that was something that, that hurt him in, in triple a, but I think the Orioles feel confident that it won't happen as much at home. And I think that might be part of the reason why they're attacking these, these fly ball, high carry fastball pitchers. Yeah. Um, last name to watch is Leandro Arias, who was a big ticket IFA guy, 600 grand. He went to the DSL. He was all right. And then he ticked up in the complex, like improvement and slash line across the board last year. Um, He's still so far away, but he's a switch hitter that they're hoping can can get into a bit more pop. Um, it's so hard for for me to like make these sweeping conclusions on eighteen yeah. year old guys. No, he's just a bat to ball guy, small. Uh, did a good job, of, you know, making contact, but you know, there's not a ton of impact there. It's just kind of a wait and see situation yeah. with, with Arias. Right. Let's jump into the top fifteen. 
We're going to talk Judd Fabian in a moment, but before that, a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so now let's get into, again, it's pretty amazing that at 15, you have a prospect here that's, I was teetering on like 45 plus to 50 future value for Judd Fabian. I I settled on 50 and and something you and I talked about to peel the curtain back, like some of the adjustments, ways that we can always improve these these prospect write-ups and things like that. I want to bake risk into this a little bit more. So in the future, you might start to see risk on the table. I think Baseball America does a fantastic job of encapsulating that so that you could have a 55 future value guy that's ranked ahead of a, you know, 60 future value guy because his risk is low versus the 60 who has extreme risk. Um, and, and then, of course, risk is is a big part of the equation here. J- Judd Fabian, extremely risky in one facet and then not as risky in another facet. But the, the fact of the matter is I don't think he's ever going to be more than, than a three on the hit tool. Like, I think it's a 30 hit tool. I, I just yeah. I've seen enough to where I just feel like it, it's it. He's going to whiff a ton. But then when I tell you, Jack, that. He has above average exit velocities. He hits the ball in the air consistently, consistently, consistently. And that's a trend through this system. They have a ton of guys that hit the ball in the air. And then above average runner, factor on the base paths, and a really good everyday center fielder. I think you could – I've seen like sixes thrown out there on the glove. I I think it's closer to a 55. But again, it's like fringe plus defense and center field. I mean, th- those guys I'm always willing to wait for, right? Like, I, I just always think of Jose Siri, and I'm like, <laughs> how many people are ready to just give up on that guy and look right. at what he's doing now? You can be a, a really rough hitter, and if you have speed, power, and defense in center field, not only are you going to have a lot of chances, but there's a lot of different ways that you can be a contributor. Well, and dude, what does he hedge with? Patience. Walks. Yes, he Your hedges with walks. My favorite thing in the world, man. This guy's played 142 minor league games. Let's call that, you know, like a lot of big leaguers will play 142 and we call that a full season. I'm going to run you through just like the counting numbers. He's walked 100 times. He's got a 16% walk rate. He's slashing 240, 366, and 126 point jump, 467. So that's an 833 OPS in the minor leagues. And in 142 games, 28 doubles, 27 homers, 90 driven in, 32 backs. I mean, man, like he can be an accumulator. And like, yeah, the whiff is going to be there. He's he's punching out at a 30% K rate, like in his minor league career. But yeah. if we learned anything from this guy's elongated stay in Gainesville, Florida, he played four years. Um, it, it's that he is good enough discipline-wise to survive, not thrive, mm-hmm. but like survive, I think. This is a guy that could be a productive player with a 220 batting average. Yes. Uh, and yeah, look, again, it's going to be frustrating for certain, you know, certain people that, that prefer certain things. And and honestly, it's frustrating for anyone when you have a guy that's hitting 220. But and again, it might not be for the Orioles, but there's value to somebody who can play center field the way that he does. That can you know, tap into game power consistently the way that he does. But I I, I think that the Orioles feel as though they can help 
Fabian continue to cut down on that with. And if he can cut down on it just marginally, um, you know, I think you you feel a lot better about his chances to to be an everyday big leaguer. I mean, when you look at the last 50 games, struck out 38% of the time. Uh, that That's obviously not going to fly. So uh, he's going to get a second taste of double A. He's 23 years old. And hopefully he can just kind of cut down that whiff a little bit. He can strike out around 30% of the time and get away with it. Uh, but you can't strike out 38% of the time and get away with it. So uh, this coming season will be a big one for him as he gets his second taste of double A. Yes. 14, Seth Johnson. I, like, I, I've talked about it. We've, we've alluded to it. Like, it makes sense why the Orioles targeted Seth Johnson because in that Trey Mancini, Jose Siri deal, ironically, I actually didn't even know I'd be – I didn't even make that tie in when by I the way, just, just a minute ago, by the uh, way, Trey Mancini, Jose Siri deal real quick. Like, I just got a notification. Um, Trey Mancini minor league deal with your Miami Marlins. Oh, no way. Good for him. Yeah. There Good you for go. Him. All right. Tying that. I know, I know his, uh, his wife is based out of South Florida. So I'm sure they're, they're, they're pumped about that. Oh, good for him. Um, thanks for that update. Actually, that actually made me happy. I'll be happier for the rest of this episode now. Gotcha. Um, but Seth Johnson, and yeah, the last thing the Marlins needed was another first baseman, though. I will say that. They've got like <laughs> 45 of them. Um, Johnson, crazy, crazy ride on the fastball um, and, and a really good slider. But the only reason why I think he was able to be acquired was that he had to undergo Tommy John surgery before the, the, the trade went down. So the Orioles were like, all right, like, we don't care. We're, we're going to try to compile the best arms that we can get. You know, they're, they're trying to accumulate talent at that point um and when you look at you know what what the rate where the rays are at hey this guy's not gonna be able to throw for us for like a year and a half so let's move him in this deal we can go get a center fielder i get it all the way around um but what's interesting with with seth johnson is i i think that this could be a heist and when you look back at it because he just has some really good stuff his really smooth delivery the fastball you know when before he went down it was 93, 94, 95, you know, anywhere around that range, closer to 95 very often with a ton of ride and just getting on hitters quickly. And that slider was disgusting too. It was too easily plus pitches. He's going to need to develop the curveball further, but to have at least average command as well and a smooth delivery, I feel confident that Seth Johnson's going to be a big league arm in some capacity. Uh, but I, I do think that he's capable of, of being a, a, a starter uh, with those two pitches, but like kind of that five and dive type. Ultimately, I think he's kind of a you know a high powered swing man. Is he going to be the second Campbell Camel to play for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, or at least on the roster? Uh, Cedric Mullins was at Campbell too, and and we talked about Campbell last episode with Thomas Harrington in the Pirate system. But like Neto Campbell, Seth Johnson Campbell, Campbell's kind of a wagon right now. Um, how good is that? Fa- like, is is this? Is this the best fastball in the organization or, or like in the in the farm system right now? Because obviously G-Rod's fastball. So it's funny you say that. I think the 2022 would it be the 2022, the 2022 version of his fastball yeah. would have been the best fastball in the organization. Because it topped at what, 98, 99? It was like not topped at 98, but the characteristics of it were, were absurd. It was a lower release. He, he gained, I, I, he, he upped the release from the year before, like slightly, I think it was by 0.2 feet, but he gained a half foot of, of extension and he gained two inches of ride. So he found the perfect slot for him to still be able to get that ride and, and, and get what he wants, but also get a little bit more extension. 
Then he came back after the injury and the release height was way higher. I, I think maybe he was just trying to get back and, and you know, get his feet under him. But the 2022 version was was nasty. And that was, you know, you saw the difference from 2021 to 2022. His fastball swinging strike rate went up from 13% to 17%. And then everything else played off of that. When, when you're getting two more inches of vert, a half a foot of, of extension, that fastball pretty much almost, I think, would, it, it almost gains like a whole scouting grade. I would say a half alone. And then you factor in also that the velocity was in the in the, the mid nineties. That could have easily been a seventy fastball. It was hard for me to give him a seven there because we haven't seen him get back to that quite yet, and we only saw very very limited action when he returned at the end of last year. But I think it's possible that that fastball could get to a seven, and if it does, yeah, I mean, I think that Johnson very easily has the potential to have the best fastball in the system. Um, maybe Chase McDermott has a claim, but I think Johnson in twenty twenty two probably had a better heater. Got you. 13, Mac Horvath. What a fun player. Um, I, we talked about it when the draft was going down. I, I told you how much I, I enjoyed Mac Horvath, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. I enjoyed Mac Horvath's offensive potential. I like the swing a lot. I like the mechanics. That's why I, I became a Horvath fan. Diving deeper into what Horvath can be is really fascinating. You talk about the infield slash outfield um, you know, designation. I did not realize how athletic he is. And I'm very interested to see how the Orioles plan to use him. He's going to be another guy with a fringy hit tool. I think he's got a better chance of, you know, making more consistent contact than Judd Fabian. I think it's going to be more of like a 40 hit tool instead of a 30. Uh, But above average raw power, I think it can be above average power in games. He's a plus runner. The big thing for me here, there's two, there's two things with Horvath. Can he develop into that? at least fringy hitter. Cause right now it's below average. You know, if you threw him in the big leagues right now, and, and again, to, to clarify for people, when you see the present grade and future grade, the present grade would be like, if you threw him into the big leagues right now, where would he line up on the scale? And then the, the future grade is where you think he could be. So right now it's a 30, but I, I think it's going to be a 40 uh, as he continues to clean some things up, but above average power plus runner. The two questions are, how do you utilize plus speed and a plus arm? most effectively for Horvath to be a defensive asset because at third base, he was shaky. He kind of like the morale thing, almost like too strong for his own good and a, and a unique throwing motion where it just like it, he got balls got away from him and away from him and away from him. And, and I wonder if, if it just plays better, you know, from, from right field, but as a plus runner, you know, he could cover a ton of ground out there. I'm thinking like a Trevor Warnick type where you don't stick him in center just because it doesn't really work as well. But you put that speed in a corner and he continues to get better and you put that arm out there and all of a sudden he turns into a really good defender out there. Um, I, I like outfield more than third, but yeah, the two questions are going to be, does he make enough contact and where do you put him defensively to get the most value, which I, I think the answer is, is right field. Right. Okay. Um, Cause you, you think the arm is like huge. It's it's a it's it's a strong yeah, strong saying. arm and, and like maybe they try him in center a little bit but you, you know, don't have to you have so many center field options I just I don't see why and and look it's it's nice to have him a guy that you know emergency could plug into the infield what's interesting is they played him at second which I think is a waste don't do that um, and then you know the, I I would say I'd rather see him get some action at third and then some action in the corners and I think that's probably what the plan would be so I'm gonna I'm gonna just give you like 
the counting numbers and the slash line for Horvath this past year at North Carolina before the Orioles took him. By the way, staying somewhat local, UNC kid that that got drafted by Baltimore. I'm going to give you the slash line, and you you tell me where this guy finished in terms of ACC Player of the Year, and you know, like which team he went, on all he, ACC. He went 2020, didn't he? Yes, he slashed 305, 418, 711. So an 1129 OPS. 21 doubles, 24 homers, 25 for 29 in the stolen base department in 60 games. Kyle Teal was the ACC player of the year. What all ACC team do you think he, he landed on? Horvath? Yeah. I mean, this feels like a loaded question, but I, I, I genuinely would say second team. Second team. How, how is that not a first team all ACC? I don't know. Is it was the eight like I got have to look at the whole ACC, I guess, but like th- that either shows you how talented the ACC is or it's Matt, Matt Horvath erasure. I, I'll tell you right now, Cam Canarella at Clemson was first team, so is Stephen Reed at Georgia Tech, Ethan O'Donnell at Virginia, Jack Hurley at Virginia Tech. Like 380 batting averages, so that's the problem. I know 305 is like disappointing. Yeah, for some of these guys. Uh, you know what? He sucked. He sucked. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing, right? It's, it's the hit tool. And and how does that come along? Again, another guy. What I love about the O's is they hedge a lot of the swing and miss guys with that ability to walk. Horvath ran a chase rate below 20% in, in the ACC and then ran a chase rate right, I think, still below 20% in his pro debut. Um, that's always going to bode well for a guy with a fringy hit tool. He's also the first Bowman draft guy that we run into. Oh, Mac Horvath yeah. available in Bowman draft. And uh, you made a good point before we started recording. Buy Orioles spots for the love of God. Yeah, if you're an Orioles fan, just buy a box. <laughs> like, you know, but definitely buy an Orioles spot because, you know, I know the boxes, you know, can be a little bit expensive if you if you can't go to the right spot. But like if if you are an Orioles fan and you just want to collect the draft class, I've seen so many people do that, which I think is awesome. If you follow a specific team, it must be so fun to be able to just collect each draft class. Buy, if you buy an Orioles spot in Bowman draft, you're going to get cards. I, I think they have to be the most well-represented in this product because you have Horvath, you have several other guys in the product. You have another that we're going to talk about in a moment. Uh, but Horvath is like the upside is really exciting. Um, but I like the volume side of it too. And then even the unique refractors and, and inserts and things like that. Like you could pull a Jackson holiday still on this product. You could pull a Basayo. They each have unique refractors, very rare, but at the end of the day, like we're all chasing for, for something fun and rare. But the fact that Horvath is also in here, you said Bowmeister is in there as well or no? Uh, I think Bowmeister is, I think he has a car. Um, yeah. And then, and then Bradfield who we're going to get into in a moment, like there's a lot of volume of, of Orioles prospects in this product. If you're an Orioles fan, you you got a good chance of getting someone you want. For sure. Number 12. Card that I have uh, picked up a few of, I'll be honest, especially after writing up this system. I picked up a few Bowmans of my own. Uh, uh, Braylon Tavera. Here's here's our uh, here's our stamper. Like This is where we're putting the flag down. This guy's going to be good, man. I, I feel really good about it. it, it look, he, might, he might have some growing pains in full season ball, but, but Tavera... Signed for $1.7 million as an international free agent, 2022. At that time, it was the record for the Baltimore Orioles. They like the polish, right? That seems to be what they always like. They identify hit tools really well. They identify you know guys that make good swing decisions really well. Tavera ran a low chase rate, but his first year in the DSL, like wasn't a ton of impact there. The bat to ball wasn't as, as good as you'd like to see. He had some moving parts and just didn't 
it just kind of looked baby draftish, right? Like he just didn't control everything very well. It kind of looked like he just hasn't been doing it that long, which he hadn't used like 17. Uh, last year in his age 18 season, it all came together for him, I think, in a lot of ways, especially in the back half of the complex league where he adds strength. You see that. Then you also look at <clears throat> the swing, smoother moves, uh, much more under control. Uh, when he gets into the leg kick, you know, staying in his backside, sinking into it, and, and also in rhythm. Like you saw a guy in rhythm now. Like you could tell he's starting it early. He wants to get in a certain spot by the time the pitcher, you know, gets to his, his release point. Uh, it, it, it was in rhythm, and all of a sudden you saw the results, which were a bat that entered the zone earlier because instead of, you know, losing his base and being in and out of the zone, enters the zone earlier, stays through it. Uh, and now being more physical, making more contact, shocker, he went nuts over the, the back half of the complex league, put up good numbers overall in the complex league. But there's potential for above average power, above average hit, an ability to walk, above average run, chance to stick in center. If he moves to a corner, he'll be an above average defender there. Uh, I really like the balance of, of offensive tools. And I really like where he's already gotten with his swing. And on top of that, you run a chase rate under 20% at his age. I know it's the complex, but you know, I really liked what I saw from him. I'm really, really excited to see what he's going to do this year. I don't have much to add. So a follow-up question there, how often do you, like fully buy into a guy's low chase rate in the DSL. Cause I know that a lot of like the fringe top 100 guys and the fringe top 10 guys in each organization, they're all walking a ton in the DSL and at the mm-hmm. complex. Like if you are comfortable with who you are as a hitter and you're not trying to prove too much, cause you feel like your talent will, will prove enough. Chances are you're not swinging much in the DSL yeah. in the complex. Cause you're going to get on base at a 400 clip. H- how much do you value that with a guy like him as opposed to, a Lazaro Montes in Seattle or like other guys like that? That's a great question. Honestly, not that much. <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of the, it's kind of the cherry on top, the DSL less than the complex. It's funny. The complex even, even so like is, is, is a big jump for, for, for these guys to a degree, like just because it's, it's a lot of the players who stood out at the DSL. And then it's, it's, I, I don't know. It feels like just a little bit more consistent pitching and, and just a little bit more polished arms uh, that, that you'll see. But even at the complex, I'm not looking at the the chase rates too, too much. It was just something that stood out to me when I'm watching at bat after at bat after at bat. I'm seeing really good takes. I'm seeing a, 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 I would say, curated approach that he didn't stray from. That's a more important thing. Like the chase rate, look, it, he's going to have balls that are called strikes. He's going to have strikes that are called balls. Like, and, and then also you have pitchers that are just spraying and effectively wild. So it, it's tough to, to, to really read that. But I just saw a guy that really stuck to his approach at a young age. And then you can just, you know, you can encapsulate that with a chase rate. But to me, that's really just a cherry on top. When you got the bat to ball skills, he has uh, the potential of, of driving the ball, you know, with authority to all fields. And uh, I, I think a really athletic operation in the box. I think Tavera's the guy to watch that's going to break out in this system this coming year. Cool. Number 11, former guest of the show. Hopefully we can uh, get him on at some point again during the year. He was a, he was a fun interview and uh, be sure to, to check that one out. It's linked in the, um, with Cade Povich linked in the write up for him. But also if you just kind of go through the episodes, you'll be able to find it. Povich, awesome guy, cool story, uh, kind of a late bloomer as well and put it together. And 
Traded in that in that deal, as we alluded to earlier, comes with Yannier Cano in that Jorge Lopez trade, which, which is wild. And Povich, early in his professional career, fill up the zone. Uh, he's another one of those guys, kind of kitchen sink. It's fastball cutter, curveball slider, change up. Then he gets to the upper levels and the command takes a little bit of a step back. Then he gets to AAA and the ABS, I think, really started to affect him. It was a tough command grade for me because I think as he's continued to add kind of more pitches to the kitchen sink, uh, it's it's resulted in a little bit less consistent command. But I also think that it was a little bit of just the challenges of the upper levels in his age 23 season. And I do think he's ultimately going to have at least fringy to to average command. I don't know if it's that plus command that that people were hoping for in the beginning. He does have some deception built in, uh, but he gets more whiffs than you'd expect because of that deception. Uh, He he's able to, to change his looks. And, you know, I, I think this is a guy that could be a back end of the rotation starter and could be a decent one at that. Man, I he is he's fascinating to me because, like, obviously it, it the ERA numbers the last couple of years have not been great, so to no. say. Right. Like he's, he's coming off a of four and a half and then he had a five. But the, the thing that jumps out to me most is, all right, 2021. This guy throws 91 innings between college and pro ball, 81 innings at Nebraska, 15 starts, 81 innings. That's a ton of innings in the Big Ten. Then 2022, his first full season of pro ball, 114 innings. Then his second full season of pro ball, 126 and two thirds innings. This guy's eating, man. Mm -hmm. And like he's climbing slowly but surely. And while the ERA isn't there, the strikeout numbers are there and the walks like this past year command wasn't there, but like for the most part, he, he's a guy that does keep the walks in check in college. He was awesome. He was not walking anybody. If he can find command again, this is the dream template of someone that is at the back of your rotation. And it's like, okay, yeah, slow heartbeat. I know he can run out there and give me six innings, of three run ball, which is the quasi quality start. Yeah. And, and I loved, you know, you talk about slow heartbeat. He's got that, that, mentality too you see in the interview he's he's just i think he's the perfect guy to be able to kind of handle that role and 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 stay even keel even in the days where you know stuff isn't playing the way you thought you get knocked around a little bit still be able to give your team five innings six innings preserve the bullpen but i honestly think there's going to be days where he carves through hitters because the fastball gets more whiff than you'd expect i think based on some deception the cutter is a really good pitch for him the curveball really got better for him as the year went on the slider is a good left on left only pitch it was a hard one for me to grade because left on left it plays closer to an above average pitch but he never throws it against righties but it's that sweepier slider so it's always going to be better against same handed hitters but having that kitchen sink and you know decent stuff across the board if that command can get back to to average He's going to be a big league starter and and a four or five type, you know, with with high probability as soon as next year. So a great get for them. And and I think Povich is a is a very solid, solid arm uh, to to add into the system. I think he starts in triple A, cuts that walk rate by a little bit and we could see him in the show if if the Orioles need him. Yeah, that is the big thing with with Povich and McDermott. It's do they need him this year? I think the answer is probably going to be yes at some at some point, especially McDermott, who we'll get to in a moment, because I'm going to make my my case that I think they could use him ASAP. But number 10, Dylan Beavers. This was another player that was very tough for me to rank because I see what can be. Also, I saw what was in the second half of the season, which was nuts. He went off. This guy absolutely raked, but I have some concerns still. And I hate being the guy that takes good results and says, 
I'm not sure about that. Like it, it pains me to do that. Like I really don't like it, but Beavers has been an interesting guy because he was drafted as kind of a project. The, the Orioles always kind of knew he was going to be a project when they took him 33rd overall. He's six, four with plus speed, or at least well above average speed. Good feel to hit good bat to ball skills, but the swing was always a little wonky. He makes some adjustments, starts to hit a little bit better. Then he makes a little bit more of an adjustment and, and really did unbelievably well. What was it a 150 WRC plus and double a to close out the so. season? Yeah, I mean, 34 games and 894 OPS. Yeah, like he he crushed it. But there's there's some things to the swing. One, he's very long levered, obviously, especially with the legs. Very, very, very tall. And it just seems like he he struggles to stay in his his lower half. So it's a lot of throwing the hands at the baseball. You know, the, the impact, like you can dream on plus, but like he's got to clean up the swing and he's got to add strength to be able to tap into that. Um, so it was a lot of like seeing eye singles, it was a lot of flares, it was a lot of like 98 EV gappers. Um, but at the same time, like he was doing that. He's putting bat on ball. He's got the speed. He, he hit it hard enough. My concern is that move. He's, it, it's a power leak forward. He can kind of stand up in his swing and that gets exposed against velocity. And I looked at the swing and I instantly said, if he has bad numbers against velocity, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit nervous here. I go and I sort by velocity and, and anytime that like you, the, the numbers reinforce your 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 video takeaway. It's, it kind of validates the concern. He did not have good numbers against 93 plus. He hit 220 against fastballs 93 and above. Think about that. You know, with how good he was through the course of the season to hit 220 against fastballs 93 and above. And I didn't get better in double A either. Like he just doesn't miss breaking balls because of his field to hit. Um, he, he he has a good approach and it's a really tough projection for me because it's struggles against velocity. You have very clear mechanical reasons why, but at the same time, he performed really well. He hit secondary stuff. Well, it it was, it was hard to peg him, but what can be is a guy that grows into potentially plus power, a guy who has an above average hit tool and and can motor. I think he's not going to stick in center. I think he's better off in a corner. It's a little, the actions are a little eh, out there sometimes, but um, he's a really fun and projectable player. Average fastball velocity in 2022 in Major League Baseball. What was it? 93.6? 93.9. Wow. That just, it, that doesn't bode well. Now, if he can now. cut. Yeah. And, and for him, dude, he's got this big leg kick. And these guys that have the big leg kick, usually you see them sink into the backside and, and kind of get there. With him, it's like, I almost feel like the big leg kick, he he raises up with it. And so then you have this like up and forward and there's not much of like a negative move to keep him back. So it's amazing that he's still able to hit secondary stuff the way that he does. And I think that's just because of his field to hit and, and his, his pitch recognition. Now, but did that? What do you see? Yeah. Go ahead. No, did that impact the fly ball rate at all? Like, I feel like if he if he's making that move kind of forward and up at the same time, the ground ball rate would be high. So the ground ball rate was, was, it was interesting. So on secondary stuff, it was high. The pop-up rate was high though. And and I think there's two ways where that move manifests itself. It's either high ground ball rate specifically on, on secondary stuff or, or high pop-up rate on fastballs for Beavers. He was able to kind of stay through the secondary stuff and keep that ground ball rate really low. But on fastballs, I, I just feel like, 
it, it just was getting on him and he was getting tied up and everything was kind of popping up. And that seemed to be the problem for him. So I'm interested to see what it all looks like. The interesting thing too, is like it didn't result in as many ground balls, but his average launch angle was still very flat. So it, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to sort through. Also, when you do that, you can't pull fastballs. Like it's just going to be hard sometimes to, to pull them in the air with authority. And so I felt like he was a lot of times out and around, you know, some of these pitches just kind of, it felt like he was putting himself in tough spots to get his best swing off and sometimes still got a good swing off despite it. Uh, but yeah, like that drift forward, dude, like he, he pulled 67% of changeups. Um, that's, that's going to be difficult. And then you're just kind of getting tied up on everything on the inside part of the plate. Um, that's, that's my concern. But on the flip side, the fact that he performed with some of these move inefficiencies and uh, the fact that he put up the numbers that he did down the stretch, like it, it's, it's hard to argue against the results, but at the same time, it's one of the guys that I think had some of the bigger discrepancies between, you know, his Woba and his ex Woba in the minor leagues. Um, and, you know, I, I try not to put too much value into those kind of things, but you could definitely see why. And then it's backed by the numbers. Yeah. Like, Lower hard hit rate, you know, it's just like I don't pull those numbers out a lot, but like to to reinforce what I already was worried about mechanically, like it really to to answer your question even further, it it saps your ability to drive the ball with authority pretty much anywhere other than pull side if you catch it out front. Um because you just don't have anything behind you. So like I don't I don't think he hit an opposite field home run like all year. He didn't actually have it right now. He did not hit one off, he did not hit one home run. To the left, he's a left-handed hitter. He did not hit one home run to the left of pretty much straightaway left field. So think about it. You're drifting forward. The only way that you can still create enough leverage to hit the ball out, you know, is catching it way out front. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you're catching it deep and you're drifting forward, you're tied up. You don't have much behind it. And it's going to be more of those flares and those slicers and those fish shots. And that's a lot of what he had. But to your point, it's amazing that he's still able to get the ball in the air as much as he does with that move. And that's a testament to his path. So like, I want to see that path be able to play more. And that's by getting his body kind of, you know, in the right spot moving forward. So did Evan Carter hit any pulls or uh, opposite field homers last year? Like very few, right? Very, very few. But the difference is he can, Carter. he can line balls. Like he can hit doubles to left center. Yeah, smokes balls. And also he will still hit them hard on the line the other way. And when he does pull, it's it's in the air with way more authority. But I do have some similar like concerns at points of like how it's going to work for Carter, you know, consistently as as pitchers try to to pick on that. But the margin for error is thin. You got to be a freak. And and Carter's a freak. Like he doesn't he can get ball. How many times do you see him get his hands inside on a pitch that looked like he was going to almost hit him? And he still lines it. You know, well, right and down like, the line, one ten. That like, and that long of a dude doing that, it made it made no sense. Like as yeah. as just a human athlete, and no you sense. can't do that if you drift forward. Yeah, and we were just talking about that with like Brenton Del Chiaro about you know not having that forward move. If you drift forward, you're going to get tied up on anything inside. Um, Carter doesn't drift forward, so he's able to you know get around on stuff inside. And with 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 Beavers, drift forward. You can almost think about it, like feel yourself move forward, try to get a swing off. You're crowded and you're just not going to have as much behind it. And that's why Beavers had a pretty low average exit velocity. Um, I know people like when I stand up. I know people like when I stand up. Should I stand up and try? (laughs) I'm not going to stand up. You got, I hope someone listening out there is like thrive swinging right now, trying to feel it. But yeah, it's like, it's it's a real thing. 
I, I like that you you weren't bad cop. You were just being like realistic and you were pointing out like what your concerns are. But I like that you almost played good cop at the tail end being like, oh, by the way, this cat was like still really productive. At, at the end of the day, you look at Dylan Beaver's baseball reference page or Fangraphs page and it's like, oh, yeah, he was really good. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. yeah, yes. And that's the but, thing is like if you can be successful that way, like think about what it can be when it's all unlocked. And I think that was like some of the the. the the aspect of it was the Orioles were trying to get him to do some things. I think he was receptive. And then there was some pushback at the end. And he's like, I want to, he said, he had a comment where he was like, I started just doing my own thing. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, oh, yeah like it worked. Renegade. But, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that, that's a paraphrase. Like it was, it was along those lines. So like stopped, you know, adjusting and worrying about and, and just kind of focusing on myself. But yeah. the last thing I'll say is that big leg kick, he seemed to kind of start it late sometimes and it hangs up. So when your foot's getting down late, What's the first thing you want to do? What's down late balls on you? Get it out, right? Like I want to get these hands out, right? Because if, if I'm getting my foot down late, ball is already on me, get it out. And, and I, I saw that rushed get it out far too often. And the fact that he still was productive, I think make, makes the ceiling extraordinarily high, but also makes the floor a little bit lower than some may think with a guy with a 150 WRC plus and in, in, in double A. I got to put a bat next to my desk, man. I've got a ball right I next to I, got I, I need man. a bat. I need a bat. I got to. We're on pace man. for record long episode, by the way, too. It's, it's the best system in baseball. That's fine. Yeah. We're sorry if you're hanging out with us for like four hours now. Um, number nine, Chase McDermott. Uh, and, and the reason why I said I was like, oh, this one's not going to be quick. So <laughs> McDermott, dude, I, would, I talk about uh, – yeah, you know, just being able to to pick the brain of some people who have you know faced some of these guys. Sometimes I was able to talk to like a few guys right after facing McDermott, and it was just, dude, that was a nightmare. Um, and I get it when McDermott's on. What what the hell are you gonna do? It's Chase McDermott versus Chase McDermott on the mound. Opponents hit like one fifty against him, but opponents also received free passes at like a thirteen percent, fourteen percent clip. You've got a plus heater. You've got, I couldn't separate the slider and cutter enough to, to have them as two separate pitches, but they are two separate pitches. So I just jacked the slider grade up because TrackMan conflates it. And when you're watching these starts, it's really hard to be able to differentiate them. Um, the cutter he throws to lefties and righties. It's, it's still like a cutterish slider with hard break in the upper eighties. Then he has this sweepier slider, but it's not a sweeper. So it's still in between. Um, that is just hard as well, but with more break, those two variations just dismantled hitters from both sides of the plate. Then he's got this banger curveball, And then he started throwing a splitter at the end of the year. So he's got four pitches. He can attack you with. I don't think the command's ever going to be better than 35 grade. And the crazy thing is, is about four or five pitchers a year get away with a 10% or higher walk rate as starters. I think McDermott has the stuff to be one of those guys. And by get away, I just mean like be a, a regular star. I'm not saying he's going to be Blake Snell or, or Dylan Cease, right. but I think he will miss enough bats to be one of those four or five guys every year that have a 10% walk rate and still hang around and, and are still effective. Um, I think it could look more like what Dylan Cease looked like last year, which is still a very good pitcher at the big league level. If it all comes together, like that's, that's the, the pipe dream is the, the bad year Dylan sees. But I, I think there's enough, especially what he showed with the ABS system and in trips. I think there's enough there to be 
a, a starter, but if he moves to a bullpen, God help the hitters that are going to have to face him out of the pen. Yeah, I know we we wanted to rank DL Hall, but Hall graduated. Um, yeah, it's the same conversation with Hall. It's hey, DL Hall's biggest opponent is DL Hall, and if he moves yeah. to the pen, he's nasty. And like he was clearly nasty in the bullpen. Oh, calling but- my shot on DL, by the way, too. He's going to go off this year. I love the changes he made. Um, I I just sorted by walk rate among qualified starters in Major League Baseball, and they do it a different way. But Charlie Morton had an ERA in the mid threes, and he was walking five guys per night, four and a half, five per night. Um, but like people don't beat him by stringing base hits together. Um, another good example of a young guy was was Johan Oviedo in Pittsburgh. The stuff was nasty. Oviedo busted out a complete game this year, but he was walking. 4.2 hitters per nine. He had a 4.3 ERA and 177 innings. Like that is feasible for McDermott because the slider is disgusting well, and the fastball is great. Because opponents slashed 167, 289, 281 against them. Yeah, against man. Them. Like the OBP is higher than, than the slug. Like that's a that's great when it comes to run prevention. It's not great when it comes to base runner prevention. But who cares if they're not it's, scoring? It's great when you. You know, when you are this type of pitcher, when you're like, okay, how do I get away with the walk rate? Uh, make the slug lower. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's how you do it, right? And and I'll just take you through each pitch. Fastball, opponents at a buck eighty-five. Curveball, yeah. opponents at a buck sixty. Uh, cutter, which again kind of conflated with the slider at times. So I'll just put these together. Cutter and slider, opponents at one fifty. I mean, it, like good luck. And then the splitter that he just unveiled when it was around the zone. Nasty opponents at 129, uh, but when it was around the zone, 28% in zone whiff rate. So I mean, th- this guy, this guy could be disgusting. And that's why I think the upside is number three, but you know, it's a little bit of a pipe dream that he's going to have enough command to be that. I think he ends up being a, a number four type, number five type that gives you flashes of dominance. And then sometimes where you got to pull him in the second or third and you're like, damn, uh, but you know, I'll weather that storm. Uh, with a guy like McDermott. Yeah. Also, when you saw the walk rate go down a little bit, it wasn't even that much lower. It was just slightly lower in AAA. Lowest ERA of his career followed a 249 ERA over 50 and two thirds. So I'm encouraged by that, considering that it's harder to throw strikes in trips. Yeah. Number eight, I think the guy kind of just like bucks the trend of the system in a way because so many guys are, are, are hit the ball in the air and, and I feel like Bradfield, Enrique Bradfield Jr. is the opposite of that. It's everything's on the ground, but he's also a, I, probably the lowest chase guy in this entire system, which says a lot. That's like you're in a system where nobody chases. That's all, the other big, big thing here. And he, 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 he's passive. Well, I'll be honest with you. He's passive. I don't care if you're passive, if you're Enrique Bradfield Jr. I care if you're passive, if you're Emmanuel Rodriguez, because like, I need you to swing because when you for you to be productive, you need to hit home runs. Enrique Bradfield Jr., it's like walking you you swinging and you walking, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. You're hoping for a single or you're hoping for a walk, right? I don't I, this is a guy that I do think similar to the Chase McDermott situation, but as a hitter, I think his OBP is going to be higher than a slug, like for his career. But I still think he could be extremely productive because he has really good bats of all skills. He is an 80 grade runner. And dude, 
I think I found the one guy that's got an argument with PCA as like one of the best defensive center fielders we've seen in the minors in some time. It, it is special stuff out there. It, it is really wild. Is he a top 100 prospect? It, it sound. It seems like it. Um, like it, it, let's. It's let's so hard for me because I I cannot stand the swing. To be totally frank, I can't stand it. It talk about everything we were talking about with like, with what's wrong with Beavers. Take that and also add in like a a bad path. Like it is flat and it is like beat the ball into the ground. It is slap hitter one on one. But you know what? Fine. And, and maybe he he can find a little bit more of, of a line drive stroke instead of like this, you know, just ground ball, flat, flat swing and, and split the gaps a little bit more than, than it could be really fun. But he's going to steal so many hits that he chops into the ground. Um, he's going to, I still think he can add some strength. Most guys that are these slap hitting speed guys are not six one with, with, with his, he's got broader shoulders. I think than a lot of hit players with, with his profile, he can just add moderate strength. I don't think it's going to slow him down. And and I do think that it could just help him see more ground balls go through the infield and also just split the gaps a little bit more. Um, but the floor, I mean, this is a guy that if you put him in center field tomorrow in the big leagues, he's he's giving you, I think, some of the better metrics already. So I just combined uh, every level of his career. I like the all levels tab here. What do you think his career walk rate is on all levels? So 11 games could to it, Vandy and his 25 game sample in pro ball this year. 20%. 16. I tried to overshoot it like crazy because I thought it'd be something ridiculous from his like first two years. 16 is insane when you're a leadoff hitter. But like, dude, yeah, 16% walk rate. This guy, 25 games in pro ball this year. Like, have you like, how about, how about just like the classic standard numbers? This guy had a 473 OBP in 25 games. That resulted in 25 games, 25 for 27 in the stolen base department. You're telling me Esteori Ruiz has an everyday spot. Like Bradfield might be better than Esteori Ruiz oh. is right now. Yeah. So Esteori, the thing with him is, you know, he, he's got a little bit more, I think, going for him in terms of like the 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 ability to drive the baseball. Sure. And then, but also Bradfield's got time to get there. Um, I'm with you. Like, I think when you look at it from that lens, it's like, all right, well, if Ruiz is a top guy, like Bradfield's going to be able to steal a ton of bags. He's going to be able to play elite defense and he doesn't strike out. So that side of it is, is interesting. It's just, you look at the pro debut and it, and it kind of tells you like what there is to be concerned about and what there is to be just so sure about as well. You know, do you know what his chase rate was in, in 25 professional games? Probably so minimal. 7%. Yeah, seven. Like, there you go. In and and was, he did not swing and miss at a single secondary pitch. Oh. And yes, the EVs were 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 really low. Yes, yeah. his ground ball rate was sixty six percent. But like, but two ninety one, four seventy three, three twenty nine. I I think ultimately, like, what it would look like at the highest level if it all comes together is like two ninety, three eighty. Like, and then if he slugs 340, low 700s OPS, elite defense, elite ability to steal bags. I, I mean, that's that's a three with his defense in center field, like that. That's a three, four, one player, probably. Could Let, be. Let's at least it's let's, a three, one player. Let's blind resume this. 
he he hits the open market at 26 years old. He's still an 80 runner that is getting on base at a 360 clip. How much money are you giving in one year? Let's go AAV. Like, hey, you get him on a one-year deal. How much is an 80 runner that gets on base at a 360 clip worth with gold glove defense in center field? I mean, dude, the fact that Miles Straw has continued to have a job and is like the the worst case scenario of this. I mean, with the defense that you're getting there, it's what did what did what did Kiermaier get this past year? Like ten and a half. It's it's double Kiermaier, I think. I think I think think that's a twenty million dollar template. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit less than that, but I I think it it's sixty seventy percent more than what Kiermaier just got. Man, he is so ridiculously value. Valuable. The defense was one of the the most ridiculous uh, dives I've done in a while. It was so much fun. He is just an he is unbelievable out there, and and play with his heart on his sleeve too, like PCA. I love it. Another South Florida kid too, American Heritage, but number seven, Connor Norby. We don't have to spend too too much time on Norby because we've talked about him plenty on this show. Um, slow out of the gate. Really played well down the stretch and, and and honestly went nuts down the stretch. Talk about a swing that I love. Super simple, uh, quiet moves, hits the ball in the air consistently, two strikes, no stride. That's the Cliff Godwin ECU way. And it works for Norby. I mean, he's a really good two-strike hitter. There's not a single plus tool, but there's also not a hole you can really poke. And he gets the most out of all of his tools. So it's 50s to 55s across the board. And now he's starting to play a little bit of left field where I actually think he looks all right. Helps the profile and probably helps his chances of being able to break in with the big league club. He finished really well. The EVs are not great, um, but you can't really argue against the power output. And you look at the way he's able to backspin baseballs. We're talking about it with like Thomas Ajazi. The EVs aren't as good as Ajazi, but he's able to lift the ball consistently. He's able to create backspin and create carry. And it, you, you can't you can't deny the home runs. It's similar to Anthony Volpe, where EVs are pretty close. But again, like Volpe was able to lift consistently, and and it's one of the rare like raw power is not as high as the game power. Volpe was the same way. Norby's that way. And uh, I I hope they trade him for his sake though, because he gets pull side lift. It's not going to play in Baltimore the same way, and I think yeah. they know that. I wonder if Norby's one of those guys that'll be on the move. But you know, they're not just going to trade him just to trade him. No, he does feel like the best odd man out that that we've got. And Norby and I mean, like, again, I think this is the second or third time I mentioned the Pirates, but Norby and Nick Gonzalez are in like identical situations where they're too good for AAA, but like they're they're kind of phased out. So you're trying a corner outfield thing with Norby. The, the thing that fascinates me with Norby is like it was the same exact thing from 2022 to 2023, like identical OBP. 360 and 22, 359 in 23. Like slug. Uh, yeah, the slug went down a little bit, but this cat had 40 doubles this past yeah. year. I mean, like he exchanges what six fewer homers, eight fewer homers for 17 more doubles. Like I'll I'll take that. Sure. It's it's crazy to me how good this guy is offensively. He's a big leaguer in waiting, much like his right. middle infield mate. And it was it was the way he closed it out too, man. Where it's like he shakes off this slow start and and just goes crazy. And in final sixty games, three hundred six, three eighty six, five thirty three, eleven percent walk rate, nineteen percent K rate. Just sign me up for that. It's it's so it's so safe. I, I feel really good about Norby's chances of being a solid big league bat. Yeah. 
Number six, Joey Ortiz, another guy that please just 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 free my guy. Um, like shortstop, great defense, hits the ball hard. The the interesting thing with Ortiz is you'd expect the power to play better because he hits the ball really hard. Average launch angle of five degrees was is the problem, but. You can get away with that because it's a lot more line drives than ground ball still. Ground ball rate of 46% is not that bad, especially when you're hitting the ball. 90th percentile exit velocity, 106. Makes a ton of contact. Seeing Ortiz fall just because he's falling in prospect rankings is kind of head-scratcher to me. Um, he did exactly what you'd want him to do in AAA. I know he struggled in the big leagues. It was like a kind of just got thrown out there. Um, the defense is, is phenomenal. The one thing for him is he chases probably – as much as, as anyone in the system. And, and and that that holds him back. It's not egregious. Still in that buffer zone, like 32, 33%. But, you know, it'd be nice to see him cut that down because of his bat-to-ball skills and because of, you know, everything else that he brings to the table. But, again, like, you're going to get a guy that's going to be able to at least hit his weight. I, 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 I struggle to argue against those exit velocities. And if you're making 88% zone contact and you're hitting the ball as hard as he does, 90th percentile of 106, it's going to work out. It does it work out as well as it should. I don't know. He's going to probably have to create a little bit more leverage and he's going to have to be able to cut down on the chase, but it's going to work out. And, and that's the big thing for me. So that defense and, 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 and the data there, and you look at the swing and, and what he's been able to do. I don't know why he's dropping. I get he's 25. He's only getting older, but um, you know, I, I hope he gets an opportunity elsewhere because it's just another guy that I feel like is going a little stale uh, in, in Norfolk. Doubles, doubles, doubles. You put him in the right ballpark, he could have 40 doubles like in a major yep. league season. Like 88 games, this cat had 30 doubles in Norfolk this year. Um, he's, he and another guy that we're about to talk about are, are trade, the dream trade package for any top flight starting pitcher on the market right now. Like just do it already. Just do it. Like get him out of AAA for the love of yeah. God. Good, good wheels too. Um, again, one of my favorite defensive threads I put together was was the Ortiz thread. Yeah. Um, are you really surprised safe about? Are you yeah. are you surprised that the stolen bases are not as prevalent? With like, I mean, he he's is dealt a with some injuries. He's dealt with some injuries, and I wonder if that's part of it. Like, you know, he's had a shoulder issue. He's he's had a handful of like kind of nagging and 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 uh, like un- unfortunate injuries, and I wonder if that's a part of it. Uh, just trying to like play it a little safer, but I am, I am surprised because he can motor. Yeah. Number five is Colton Kowser. We'll get to him in a moment, but one more quick break. All right. So we get into the top five, which means if you're watching on YouTube, you get the, the, the little quick video clips of the swings. Kowser is a guy I'm a little worried about relative to the other names we're going to talk about. Um, I love Kowser. I've liked him for a long time. He's a really, really good prospect and I think can be a good player. I, I'm i a little concerned because I don't love the way that he responded to the struggles in the big league. So I was talking about this again on Locked on Orioles. Was, Connor asked me, who do you like better, Kowser or Kerstad? Obviously, it's going to be Kerstad because uh, we, haven't we haven't talked, talked about, about him yet. yet. Right. Yeah. Um, you could make the case for Kowser. It's like, oh, we can play center field. Oh, you know, he's he's got some more speed. Uh, a little bit younger, all that good stuff. But I'm worried Kowser is a little bit of a tweener. So he is passable in center field, better off in a corner. He has pretty good EVs, but another flatter swing that results in more line drives and doubles. 
if he moves to a corner, you want more power because he's whiffing a little bit more than you than, than I think we all expected. So need him to tap into more power. All right. So he starts to try to lift the ball more. As he tries to lift the ball more, it's resulted in more Ks. Over that last month in AAA, he whiffed a lot. And, and I felt like yeah, maybe it was it was the struggles of, of the big league debut kind of bleeding in. But when I watched the ABs, it looked like a guy that was just trying to lift, trying to, to, to be that corner outfield guy or trying to be that guy with more impact. It's hard because it's like what got him here was the field to hit. What made him exciting was the power projection. And now I just feel like he's stuck in between. And that's where we're at kind of. I'm starting with the negative because the positive is, I mean, fives across the board, um, the ability to play all three outfield spots and a decent approach. But that is my one little concern here is it's a little bit of a tweener profile right now. Yeah, he was like really not good in his major league sample. And, and I just wonder not only what that did to his his confidence, but also like, I mean, you mentioned, you know, A, the whiff became more prevalent when he went back down. How much internal pressing did that guy do in the final month of the season? And yeah. is that going to bleed into next month in Sarasota? He shows up and he's on edge. Like, you don't want that because this guy was was clearly not playing with house money because he was trying to get there, but he played 27 games in Norfolk in 2022. So he breaks camp and he goes to Norfolk to open 2023. He's like, all right, I mash. Like, I do me. I'm going to get a big league cameo. He, he got that big league cameo. He was like the best hitter in AAA or one of the best hitters in AAA before he got that call up. He and Westberg. And they got a call up at a similar time. One of them was very comfortable with who they were. And then Kowser didn't achieve immediate success. And it was like, oh, damn, like, let me let me clench a little tighter. It just yep. it it felt it felt very forced watching him on on Masson. And I wonder if they told him, like, hey, if you want to succeed up here, like you're going to have to drive the ball in the air with more authority and, and whatever it may be. Because when I look at the batted ball, this guy, average launch angle prior to his you know, final month, you know, that, that final stint in, in AAA, 11 degrees. And, you know, again, it's okay if you make a lot of contact. So just spray line drives, but he wasn't quite making enough contact. So that's why he was kind of this in-between rate, but he was still putting up good numbers. 11 degree launch angle, right? That was in 78 games. Final 34 games, which was that, that final stretch of AAA, he had an average launch angle of 16 degrees. That's fine but not if it comes with a 34% strikeout rate yeah. and not if it comes with really bad struggles with secondary stuff. And I think what happened is that the, the Kowser that's trying to lift now was getting in and out of the zone and swinging over a lot of breaking balls. He still hit his fastballs, only 6% swinging strike rate on fastballs in that, in that time frame. But against everything else, he had a swinging strike rate around 20%. So, to me, it was, I need to do damage. I need to get back there. My defense in center field isn't as good as it, you know, as I was hoping. I'm probably going to be a guy in a corner. I got to mash like Kerstad. And he didn't. The flip side is he's 23. He's going to be 24 at the start of the season. He's raked really at every stop. He's got a great approach. He's still projectable, can add more strength. But just another guy that, I think he's still trying to figure out the balance of, of who he is and, and find some more consistency with the path. And um, 
I assume he's been working on it this offseason. I'm interested to see how he comes back looking, you know, for 2024. But um, still a great piece, a great prospect, easy slam dunk top 100 prospect with the talent that he has. But I, I see a guy that's that's trying to figure it out right now. He's also a really interesting case because he could be in one of two situations in the next three weeks. Like he could be slated to repeat the year in AAA and may spend the entire year in AAA if things go according to plan in Baltimore. Or he could be one of the new young faces of a franchise, whether it be Miami or Chicago, like depending on what happens with some of these starting pitchers. Like obviously, this guy's name is used ad nauseum in trade conversations. It's Cowser and Ortiz, Cowser and Ortiz. So, are you going to be the young guy that is expected to be so hot out of the gates and like be the future of a franchise, or are you a guy that's blocked again? And I think that can be a mental hurdle in both ways. Like, and and I think the problem is with Ortiz and Cowser and where they're at, I think both are good pieces, but I don't think either can headline a package for a Dylan Cease or a Joey Ortiz. And that's why we haven't really seen a move because the guys we're about to get to, they don't want to move. And I wouldn't either, but teams want that if they're going to give up a Cease or a Lizardo or whoever. So it's this weird tweener spot uh, also in the trade talks as well. So that seems to be the, the theme here. So if Cowser can, go off in Norfolk and, and show that, you know, he's kind of figured out who he is and find some more consistency and, and find some more uh, overall consistency and consistency in center field. I think people feel a lot more comfortable, but the reason why I think Kerstad gets the edge is look, he can't play center field, but he plays a corner and he knows who he is. He sticks to it. And who he is is a guy that can hit 30 bombs at the highest level. Um, Kerstad's the one other guy that probably chases more than Ortiz. Uh, Basayo is kind of in that conversation too. But again, these are all guys that are so talented. It, it, it's okay. It's in the buffer zone. Kershad's the one guy that kind of toes the edge of outside of the buffer zone. It's like 35, 36%. But I mean, we've talked about it. 800 days between his last collegiate game, his first professional game. So yeah, he's going to be 25, but I, I don't look at him like a 25 or this was really like his second full professional season. And he, put up numbers in triple A and held his own in the big leagues. I, I just, I feel really, really good about the bat, especially if he can cut the chase down a little bit. It, the, the bat to ball skills are great within the zone. He makes plenty of contact, hits the ball in the air with consistency. Uh, EVs are strong. He's a fine defender in a corner and he hits lefties as well as he hits righties. This is an everyday outfielder or first baseman or wherever you want to stick him. And he's going to be a damn good one. And he can hit 30 bombs. I'm excited at the end of all this. I'm going to ask you what October, not October, uh, September 15th, 2024, what that starting lineup looks like, assuming full health. And and I think Kerstad is an interesting one to try and place because there are big league pieces that are somewhat sort of kind of in the way of him at like each spot, but he's better than some of those big league pieces at each spot. Um where do you think his long-term home is? I'll ask you that right now. Do you think it is in right, or do you think it's at first base, or do you think he's a guy that is going to do a little bit of both? I think he's a guy that does a little bit of both because I don't think he's going to be a great defender either way. Um, and so if you can at least provide some versatility, that's nice. I think he's fine in a corner, though. Um, and I think he's more valuable in a corner. I'd rather just stick him in right or left, uh, and, and he'll be passable there. But if you can plug in at first, that's always nice, too. And I think with the Orioles fit, though, it seems like first base makes a lot of sense. Um, unless they want to put Mayo there, but I think Mayo's fine at third. 
so I, I think that could make a lot of sense depending on what their outfield situation is. But I think he's passable anywhere. I, I, I'd, I'd rather not stick him at first if he's not a liability in the outfield. And I don't think he's a liability in the outfield. Um, my thing with, with Kerstad though, is like, I don't really need to see much else with, with the bat. Like I, th- again, the only thing I really need to see is walk more. Uh, but when you're chasing the way he does and you're only striking out 19% of the time and you're still driving the ball in the air with authority and you've hit 300, both full minor league seasons now, it, it's, it's pretty easy to see why he swings a lot. Uh, but I think as he gets to the big leagues and, and works through that a little bit more, I, I think he'll be a guy that ultimately can can improve the walk rate a little bit. And all of a sudden you could see an above average hit tool. If you have an above average hit tool with 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 a well above average power, this guy could be a, a, a force in the middle of the lineup. 75th to 80th percentile. How many homers are you getting in a given year from him? 75th to 80th percentile. So like think, if things go if things go well, like not obviously best case scenario, because best case scenario is probably 40. Best case scenario is 40. I think 70, I think it's 30, 30 bombs. I think it's 30 to 32 bombs. I think like the median outcome is, you know, a guy that hits you probably 20, 25 and just, you know, you're, you're waiting for him to blow up. You're waiting for it to, you know, you're waiting for it to happen. You're waiting for it to happen. So it's Ryan Um, Mountcastle. I was about to say literally Ryan Mountcastle. Um, Literally that. And I know Mountcastle's had some extenuating circumstances, but so is Kerstad. Uh, Hopefully those don't come back or anything like that, but, you know, it, it, it's 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 a tough one there because he's had so much time off. But I do think, yeah, that's that's about the that that's a pretty good range of outcomes, though. You know, twenty five home runs doesn't grow on trees either. Neither does yeah. twenty. Number three, Kobe Mayo, another guy. Check out the interview. Awesome kid, like just a, just a really cool dude. And and uh, I, I I I'm really excited about where he's going because you can tell he's put the work in. Uh, and in the conversation talking about the swing adjustments, overcoming injuries and, you know, not wanting to make excuses, but trying to play through it. But then, you know, all those interesting things, it was, again, added so much context to it. And then when you're able to have that context, see the struggles in double A in 2022, then see him return to double A in 23, make a mockery of the pitching there, then get to triple A and destroy uh, you know, the, the competition there and, and just put up great numbers across the board. Oh, yeah. All while improving his defense at third base, something that he took a lot of pride in and took the time to do. Uh, this guy hit 30 more than 30 bombs last year. Is If I could bet on one person in the system to hit 40, it's going to be Kobe Mayo. And I think he's going to do it. I really do. This is a top 15, top 20 prospect in baseball for me. It is absolutely screwed up that he is number three in this system. But I mean, I see average bat to ball and then plus to plus plus EVs. He's got more room to fill out and continue to get stronger. On top of that, he hits the ball in the air consistently. People want to talk about the hitch and a move or whatever. Who cares if it looks a little weird? He gets to his spot early and he creates, it allows him to get the path that he wants, which is behind the baseball, enter the zone early and lift. And he lifts. But it's not just pull dependent. He can go the other way. If you want to nitpick the swing, I think you're nitpicking the wrong things. Look at where he's at when he's slotted and look at where he gets when he makes contact. That will always play. And the numbers don't lie there either. Um, This is a guy that I think might force his way into the Orioles uh, big league situation this year just because he's going to be hitting so many bombs and hitting the ball so hard that they're going to be like, all right, we we, got to find a spot for this dude. Go right ahead. Um, we've entered kind of a new echelon in terms of this system. 
Right, like, the untouchables. Yeah, the difference between Kerstad and Mayo, I, I think, is there is like a clear line between those guys. Oh, yeah. Kerstad is the best of the available. Mayo is, I, I guess, third on the totem pole of the three untouchables, the three-headed monster. I, I love that, and I love the 70 future raw power. You you do believe that over, over the guy we're about to talk about, like if there's one guy in the system that's going to have a 40-homer season at the major league level, it's this guy. Yes, because the guy we're going to talk about next is, I think he's a little bit more of a, like, I'll drive the ball in the gaps. Like, I hit the ball hard. Like, I think with Mayo, it's... it's I'm, I'm going to lift and I'm going to hit lift. balls out. Yeah, And I'm going to lift it and I'm going to crush it. And yeah. that's what he did. I mean, some of his pull side bombs are comical. Uh, but so, again, he can go to, to all fields. I just think Mayo's designed for home runs. He's probably going to see an uptick in whiff at, at the big league level. You know, the hit tool could be closer to fringy. That wouldn't shock me. But he he walks, and I'm okay with him selling out for that because he's going to get it. Um, you know, 12% home run rate on fastballs. What? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's insane. 35% I mean, ground ball rate. Um, but, you know, just hitting the living crap out of the baseball. I, I, I'm so excited to see what it looks like for him at, at, the, at the big league level. The, the counting numbers this year were hilarious. 140 games between AA and AAA. Obviously, he hit 290. That number ticks down, probably, right? Like, he's probably a 265, 270 hitter. Yeah, all, yeah. That, yeah right. he, could be, he could be 250, 260. But even then, he's going to walk. So, 290, 410 OBP, a 974 OPS, 45 doubles to go along with 29 homers. He drove in 99. And he was seven walks shy of a hundred. Like, wow, man. Like that is as easy and fun. A, a baseball reference page to look at as you get in the, and you know, it's even, even funnier. That doesn't include the, the four postseason games where Norfolk wins the, the, the title in those four postseason games. He hit, he had six hits, two home runs. So, <laughs> If you include the postseason games, he slashed 295. Yeah, 30 homer season. Yeah. Yeah. 31 homer season, 295, 415, 579 slash line. It's a 993 OPS. So he played almost entirely, and I know that you mentioned it. He he played almost entirely third base in double A. Triple A, 39 games at third base, 19 games at first base. So the split was closer to even than it was in double A. And and I don't think that was an indictment on where he's at defensively. I think it was a, hey, get comfortable here because we might need you up there uh, at yeah. first base. Because he's come along really nicely at third base. Freak of an arm, by the way. Best arm in the system. Plus, plus. Damn. So why waste it at first base? I, because they got other guys at third. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Gunner Schlutter. They got a DRS studding gunner if he's playing third. Whatever. Samuel Basayo at number two, uh, the next candidate for who could probably be the number one prospect in, in, in baseball and out of the system. I mean, this swing is so funny uh, for those that are watching. It's a curveball that's about uh, six inches above the top of the zone, left on left, and he crushes it like 450 feet. Uh, Basayo is unbelievable. We've talked about him a bunch, actually, and, and, and the way that he finished the season in the way that he just got better and better as he ascended. Um, the defense, I think, can at least be passable because the catch and throw is is so solid behind the dish. Um, and he's going to continue, I think, to, to work to get a little bit more agile and mobile back there uh, to be able to block a bit better and receive a bit better. But, you know, they've got that Adley guy at the big leagues level. So uh, he's fine. I think Basayo ultimately probably plays some first base DH and then we'll catch maybe once a week to get uh, Adley off of his legs, you know, when, it, when it's all said and done. 
But what makes Basayo special is you have the potential for average hit and I think plus plus power, at least comfortably plus. And I don't know. It's just it's just a fun operation, man. Like that swing is so nice. He's one of the best at spoiling tough pitches because people look at the you know people that may have access to the data. They'll see, oh, there's a little bit more end zone lift than I was expecting for a guy with his numbers. Oh, the chase is a little high. He is one of the best out of zone contact rates you're going to see. So if you're going to make a bad swing decision, you know, or a mistake of a swing decision, does it result in a whiff or does it result in, in this case, this was a, this would grade as a chase. This is a home run. This chase was in the seats. It's going to be harder to get away with that at the big league level, but I think it's a testament to how good he is bat to ball wise and how talented he is and how he's able to do damage with pitches that aren't even in the strike zone. He can get away with a higher chase rate because he crushes everything and he has one of the best O contact rates in the system and one of the better that you'll see in the minor leagues. Who else does that? We were talking about it last night. Rafi Devers. You brought that Devers. Devers does it. It's the Devers thing. Like if you. It's a very similar offensive profile to Rafi Devers. And you, you put that on my radar and I think it's spot on. I mean, like if you watch Red Sox games, if yeah, if you're a Red Sox fan trying to do some recon right now, listening to the Orioles top prospects, number one, I applaud you. Uh, you're a new level of weird like us. Um, welcome <laughs> to the club. Number two, like, Hey, as Orioles fans, chances are you're watching a lot of Red Sox games because you see them a lot in the American League East and and you're always kind of pitting yourselves against the rest of your division and maybe their best players, pitting your best players against theirs. Devers, like there are so many highlights that you see Devers hit a ball shoulder high or shin high and it somehow ends up ripping around Pesky's pole or he like actually drives it into the bullpen. I mean, if that's what you can get from Basayo, talking to a couple of big league pitchers and talking to a couple of AAA guys that have like gotten up, I'm like, hey, who who is the hardest guy to game plan for? Devers' name I've heard several times because you you can't beat him anywhere. It's like, hey, you know, you throw balls like he might hit that out still. There's You're trying new- to get guys to chase your pitch. Yes. And when he chases your pitch, he hits it out. He hits it out. So th- there's a new level of danger that that unlocks. And it, and it just seems like Samuel Basayo has the ability to be one of the more dangerous hitters in baseball and maybe the toughest scout in minor league baseball. Yeah, because it doesn't you can't really yeah, you can't execute something. So here's a perfect example over his final 50 games. It's 335, 454, 653. That's just going high A and double A. Um Struck out 19% of the time, walked 16% of the time. He had a chase rate of 30%, and his overall contact rate was right around 70%. It's not not great. I don't think you'd find a hitter with a hidden 335 with an overall contact rate of 70%. The thing is, though, is when you get him to chase, he's not giving you a strike or he's spoiling a two-strike pitch. Or he's, you know, driving it for a hit. So all of the underlying metrics that usually point towards concerns offensively, I, I almost throw them to the wayside with a guy, especially considering that he was 18 last year. Uh, but on top of that, the fact that he can get to anything and that he can do so much with so little, uh, it, to me, it's it's absolutely insane what he was able to do this year. And if you look at some of the home runs he hit, I think he, I'm actually going to count it right now. How many home runs he hit on pitches outside of the strike zone? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight home runs on pitches outside of the strike zone. But 
this guy's going to get away with a lot more than 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 most hitters will be able to get away with. And you imagine as he matures, you know, he won't want to get away with as much. So he'll refine the approach. Those those instances where it's like, oh, I got away with that won't happen as much. And now he's, you know, closer to, to perfection. Um, so th- that's that's where it's going to be really scary when he starts making more consistently good swing decisions. And then when the mistakes are, oh, shoot, I didn't mean to swing at that, but I tomahawked it out of here. <laughs> but that's and, what beside might be. And you don't totally want him to get away from that either, no. because like there again, there is a fear factor there and you don't want him to lose his edge, his fear factor. Obviously, you would like him to not you know chase pitches eye high, but they do go out every now and again. You don't want to limit this guy's aggression because the aggression is what has made him a top 10 prospect in baseball, maybe. And I don't think it's hyper aggressive, too. So, I, I, again, as he just refines it a little bit more. That's where we could see the number one prospect in baseball, which leads us into the number one prospect, uh, at least in the 2023 end of season update. Uh, Jackson Holiday, shortstop, number one pick. We've talked about him plenty. Look at this swing. So good. Uh, if you put something middle in on Jackson Holiday, it's it's he's gonna he's gonna crush it for at least a double. He loves to just kind of pull off of balls a little bit, but it's not even off of it because he's he allows himself to stay on it with his path and with, with his back hip and just how mobile his, his lower half is where it can look like the front side's leaving, but the back half is still on it. The backside's still on it. It's like, how does he do that? It's almost like he splits his, his pelvis in half. Like that's how adjustable and mobile he is. I mean, his dad was a phenomenal athlete. He's a great athlete. He's been swinging the bat probably since he can walk. And you can see that. Uh, it's plus plus hit tool, I think, by the time it's all said and done. It's already a plus hit tool. He's a good runner. He can play a good shortstop. He's probably going to play second where he'll probably be fantastic. The question for Jackson Holiday is how much power does he tap into? And it's hard to project because he was 19, climbing levels, probably not trying to let it eat as much as just trying to put bat on ball and and, and you know just, just be a productive hitter. Uh, as he matures a little bit more, you know, maybe the EVs tick up right now. The EVs are average, uh, but I, I think this is going to be a guy that can also kind of get to a point where he can stay on the ball a little bit longer to be able to, to create more leverage. And then also just grow into a little bit more strength. That's the one question with holidays. How much power does he hit for? But when you know that it's at least average power and you've got potentially plus plus hit uh, an elite approach as well. That's why he was able to, to, to climb so quickly good good speed the ability to stick it short i mean how do you argue against this guy you don't um i know we're gonna i mean like we already talked about this guy so much and we're gonna talk about him more maybe on the next episode of the episode after if we do top 10 shortstop soon but like this guy's apartment has a door that leads to a batting cage i'm just not i'm not (laughs) betting against that guy with with also five big leaguers just sitting there waiting for him. That's just like love his dad. <laughs> right. Like, all right, man. Like you're gonna be great. That's very clear. Um, there are very few guys where I just like fully buy into the narrative, but I this guy, I'm drunk on on the Kool-Aid of he was uh, born to be a great baseball player. He yes. was bred to be a great baseball player. And guess what? He's already at 19 years old, a great baseball player. I mean, dude, to, to climb all the levels that he climbed over his last 50 games, 308, 412, 488. So he still gets his slug off of the pull side bombs and doubles. So I imagine as he grows into a little bit more strength, some of those balls that maybe died at the track and center, some of those that went the other way that didn't quite get out, start to get out. All of a sudden, the power ticks up to above average. And you're looking at a guy who you know is, is going to be a problem. 
for if you talk about trying to game plan, like how do you, how do you game plan for a guy like that? Also not as elite as Basayo, but really solid out his own contact rates, which helps him a lot as well. Um, I mean, it, it's just so safe here. I imagine they put him at second and I think he's going to be a uh, potentially plus defender there. He rarely strays from his plan and I mean, 17% walk rate in your first professional season across every single level is absurdity. Once the power comes along, it's it's game over. Who's got faster hands than him in the minor leagues? It's very few. Caminero. Maybe Torrio. That's probably it. Does Langford have faster hands or is he just stronger? Langford, yeah, Langford, Langford. Langford might just be brute force strength. Yeah. He's got pretty quick hands too, though. But it's it's those guys. That's probably about it. I you might have just named the top four prospects in baseball. <laughs> yeah, literally did. Um, and 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 Jackson's younger than all of them, and uh, except for Chorio, and you know, just has such a smooth swing. I would say his swing is smoother than just about all of theirs, uh, path wise. Yeah. You said you had one last question before we wrap up. This is a record yes. call up episode. This is a Good record call. long, almost two hours. Exercise. Um, opening day 2025. I'm pivoting. It's not September 15th. It's opening day 2025. Give me the starting lineup. Catcher. Who's catching? Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman. Who's playing first base? Mm. Mm. Okay, hold on. Can we can we go back to first base? Yeah. Who's playing second base? I think you got to say Jackson Holiday, right? I think so. Who's playing shortstop? Gunner. Okay. Who's playing third base? This is where it's tough for me because you got Westberg or you have uh or you have Mayo. It depends what you do at first base. It depends what your outfield situation. No, I got it. I got it. No, we're gonna go. We're gonna go Westberg at third. Okay. Mayo at first. Mayo at first. Okay. Who's in the outfield? I would like to think they'd bring Santander back, but I doubt it. Um, you can if you want. Kerstad and right. Okay. Center field. Mullins. Mullins. I think they love him. Yeah, Mullins. We'll have them keeping Mullins. And then left field. Hayes. Is Hayes still going to be there? Yeah. Yeah. Hayes. Okay. He's DHing. Visayo, Mountcastle. What's the date? Uh, opening day, twenty twenty-five. <sighs> opening day, twenty twenty-five. Yeah, Visayo's DH and man. Visayo. Okay, so a couple of things I would change. Um, Adley catching. I'd have. So you've got Mayo at first base. Yeah. I am cool with that. Um. Actually, no. I would do Mayo at third base, do Gunner at short, Holiday at second. I would do um, Kerstad at first base. Okay. And then the outfield would be Hayes, Mullins, and I think they do retain Santander. And then Westberg would be kind of a utility guy, and I think besides the DH. All right. I I do like Westberg as a utility guy, too. Um, 
that could that could also work. I think those are the thing is they have the options for both. And it's going to be like, how does the free agent market materialize? And then they're in the driver's seat with however they want to do it, which is well, and like insane. the rest of the team is pre armed. So you're good. Like you if you want to pay Santander, you can. If you want to pay <laughs> yeah, like just, Mount Cassidy, does John Angelos want to pay anyone, brother? But yeah, I mean, they paid Chris Davis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they now have he's the traumatized cash. apparently. Yeah, um, but thanks for bearing with us here for for two hours. Um, that uh, Jack, thanks for bearing with me for two hours. Yeah, uh, man. This is what happens when you talk about the best system in baseball. Uh, right. We're gonna go long, but we will uh, probably go shorter on the next few. Uh, but yeah, always fun talking Baltimore Orioles top prospects. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to go check out Bowman Draft as well. Uh, we will be continuing to churn through these top prospect updates. Uh, anything else? Any other programming notes? Any other thoughts? <laughs> Nothing. No. Let's let people leave. Yeah. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.